The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die any more, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, sons of the resurrection. Now, the equality to the angels that's being spoken of there is what, what particular quality? Do we become angels? Exactly. Okay? So we know that the angels don't die. Now, this becomes interesting. If the angels were created, and as we shall see soon, if they were created before this world was created, and if they don't die, that means they've been around how long? A whole lot longer than any of us. Now, the implications of this get very interesting. Okay, in Hebrews chapter 12, 22, there is a comment uh, that has some bearing on the number of angels to an innumerable company of angels. The writer uses that phrase in Revelation 5.11. There's a discussion of myriads of angels. The number of angels is really big. It's fixed. It's finite, but it's big. In the Old Testament, you remember that phrase, the host of heaven? You may have a more modern Bible that would say what instead? Anybody know? The armies of heaven? The angelic host just means the angelic armies. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, don't you realize that if I want to, I can call down a legion of angels? He's, I think he was referring there, in some respect, to the way that the angels are organized and how they work. They, in a way, work like armies. Okay? So, the number is fixed. They're created. They don't reproduce. They don't die. There are a lot of them. They may be organized like an army. And as we saw in Colossians 1.16, again, they're organized hierarchically. If you turn to Hebrews, I'm sorry, not Hebrews, Ephesians chapter 6, there's a familiar statement there. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, there again, we have some of those titles that seem to refer to the hierarchy of angels. I believe also, if you turn back to Ephesians chapter 3.10, you will see the phrase, the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. That's also a reference to the angels. So it seems that they are organized in some kind of a hierarchy. Any questions on what we just looked at? All right, let's talk about the characteristics of the angels. What are they like? And some of this is going to overlap what we just looked at. Okay? I think the first thing that we have to recognize is that they are personal beings. Like us and like God, they have intellect, emotions, and will. Okay? Um... My dog died last week. 
I'm very sad about that. And we talk about how he had a personality, what a great dog he was. Um, angels and humans have personality in the fullest sense. I don't know whether animals really have personality. But angels and humans are very much alike in that we have intellect, emotions, and will. Um, we're different in some ways, but we're alike in some ways. Now, the angels are spiritual beings. What does that mean? To say that a being is a spiritual being? What do you think that means? What's that? Well, yes and no. Are we spiritual beings? Okay, but they're, you're saying they're purely spiritual beings. Okay, I agree with that. Okay, they do. They can manifest themselves. But there's there's something I'm looking for. You're all giving me true true aspects of the of the picture. But there's something in particular that spiritual beings can do that other beings can't do. Something that angels and humans can do that my dog can't do. There you go. Okay. Angels and human beings are capable of contact with and communion with God. You know, I kind of like the idea of getting up in the morning in a pretty place and listening out the window and hearing the birds singing and thinking that they're worshiping God, but I don't really think they are. I think they're just happy or they're looking for a mate or something. But angels are spiritual beings like us and that they're capable of that kind of a connection with God, and I believe they were created for it. They're called spirits in Hebrews chapter 114. They're non-reproducing. Now, this ties back to what Bob was saying. Okay, they're, they're not fundamentally physical. And yet we know that they can manifest themselves. And that's one of the curious things about angels. They're, they are immortal. Yes? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, I haven't studied this in detail. There are the cherubim in heaven that seem to have a special form that may be visible all the time. Satan is described as having been back when he was created like a living musical instrument. We'll look at that a little bit later. We know that angels can take on physical form. Um, we know that they can change their form. Um, they can do some really interesting things. You know, it, does an angel have a fixed form that's only visible in the spiritual world but isn't visible in the physical world? I'm not sure I know the answer to those questions. But... I think it is clear that they are fundamentally spirit beings and unlike us, they are not dependent upon the continuous operation of a physical body for them to live within. You know, we were designed to always be within physical bodies. When we die, our spirits leave those bodies, but we are destined to be rejoined to physical bodies. Angels are different somehow there. I don't really understand all the details of it. 
It's a great question, but I don't know the answer. Gary. In, I'm just curious. In Hebrews 1.14, uh-huh. it, it seems a little, it, it's talking about ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. That seems kind of awkward. Would, wouldn't it be ministered to those? Or well, I think probably a better translation is minister to. You might want to look at the translation. I, I haven't looked at the preposition in Greek, but I, I think most translations say minister to. Um, yeah, I don't think I don't think it's that there are servants to do our ministry. We, we, we'll look at that passage in a little while. Okay. Now here's an interesting one, and this is very important. The angels are capable of being in God's presence. And interestingly, it's not just the holy angels who can be in God's presence. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, what is Satan? He is called the, he's got a lot of titles, the accuser of the brethren. He goes into the presence of God and points out our sin. And then I believe the Lord intercedes on our behalf. Now, what book in the Old Testament do we see this happening? Okay, and in the case of Job, actually, he's trying to point out sin in the case of Job, but he's got nothing to point out, right? But at that point in history, is Satan still a holy angel? He's already fallen. He's already sinful. He's already actually condemned and irrevocably on his way to the lake of fire. And yet, he can go into the presence of God. Is that not fascinating? You know, there's something different about angels that sinful angels can be in the presence of God and yet not be consumed. And I, I don't know what it is. But it is different. But it will, won't it? Genesis chapter 6? Yeah. We'll get to that. Okay. Yeah, we'll get to that. That's one of the most baffling and fascinating passages of Scripture. Okay. Now, putting these things together, because the angels are immortal, intelligent, capable of learning, they can be formidable opponents and valuable allies. The fallen angels can do us a lot of harm. And in particular, they can be very effective at deceiving us. On the other hand, the good angels, you know, using all the capabilities that they have, have certain other powers, they can travel between heaven and earth. They seem to be able to move at great speed, although they can't be in two places at once. They've got a lot of interesting powers, um, and we'll talk about those now. Okay? It's important to recognize, and particularly with regard to Satan, okay? Angels are not omnipotent. They're not all powerful. They are not omniscient. They don't know everything. They are not omnipresent. They cannot be everywhere at once. Now, we could go to Daniel 10 13. Bob. I, th- I think they are. 
I think they are. And one of the one of the reasons that I would think they are, somehow I think actually time and space are linked together. And the fact that God isn't bound by either one probably is because they go together. Um, but in Daniel chapter 10, uh, is it Michael who says he's coming to talk to Daniel and he's held up by the prince of Persia and he's actually delayed in the process of arriving? And you get the impression that he had to travel through space and that it took a certain amount of time and then when he was slowed up, there was nothing he could do about it because he is bound by time. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they're bound by time. I think that their experience unwinds through time kind of like ours does. You know, we live, we, we, we live in this really strange thing. We're sort of like on the cutting edge of the past and the future, right at this interface. You ever think about this? You know, did you ever take a, a drop or take a cup of water and put some dye in it and then drop a drop of that onto a piece of paper and watch it spread? You know, think about being on the edge of that drop as it expands and you're moving through time and inside the drop is the past and outside the drop is the future. That's sort of where we live. It's a very strange thing. God sees the whole thing all at once. I think that the angels are like us in that they know the past and they can only anticipate the future and they must live in the present. Um... 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. There's an interesting comment there. This is worth reading. <clears throat> we looked at this in our first course on uh, bibliology. Peter says, To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, this is the writers of Scripture, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Okay? Angels don't know everything. They want to learn, though. You know, they're probably voracious learners. And in particular, I would suggest that for the fallen angels, information is power, just like it can be for people. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Okay. Some things that we know that angels can do from Scripture, and again, there's not a lot said about them. They can open locked doors, right? Angel lets Peter out of prison. Doesn't have a key, just opens the door. Angels can possess great wisdom. Satan, before he fell, was called the pinnacle of wisdom. Extraordinarily wise. <coughs> And yet, what does it say there? It says he corrupted his wisdom for the sake of his splendor. Angels are capable of imparting great strength to human beings. And I guess even to animals. You know the story of the Gerasene demoniac? There are actually two of them. These guys, people, they'd chain them up. And what would they do? They'd break the chains. Where did that strength come from? I think it came from the demons that inhabited them. Okay? Now, here's a question, and <clears throat> we can spend some time on this. What kind of deception might an in invisible, immortal, this sounds like a hymn, <laughs> I reversed the words on purpose, an invisible, immortal, fast-traveling, extremely clever being be able to foist on unsuspecting or gullible humans? 
Just think about this. <coughs> if you could be invisible, okay? If you could be immortal, if you could travel quickly, if you could pass through walls, don't you think you could fool some people in big time ways? It's Here's an well, okay. How about this? A how about a how about a fortune teller? Okay. I mean, I think I think most fortune tellers are just charlatans. I think they just know what to say so that the person will go, "Yeah, that's me." But imagine. I think there are some fortune tellers who are in contact with demonic beings and who actually get information from those demonic. Suppose you're trading the stock market. Gary and Rick have heard me say this before. Suppose you're straight trading the stock market and you go to your fortune teller and you ask her, I'm going to invest tomorrow in one of these two stocks. Which should I invest in? And she looks into her crystal ball and the and its demon tells her, pick stock A. Yeah. And tomorrow... Stock A goes through the roof. Now, if that fortune teller is in contact with demonic beings, that demon or one of his friends could have just run over to Wall Street, snuck through some walls, listened in on the board meeting, and found out that there was a merger going to happen tomorrow, and come back and give that information to the fortune teller. The fortune teller might not even be aware that he or she is in contact with demons and could do this repeatedly and suck this person in and make him think that this fortune teller really can predict the future. <laughs> I'm tempted to say something, but I won't. Um, but, but you can see how by throwing useful pieces of information at people which the demons have access to and that we don't have access to, a demon can convince a person that he has powers that he doesn't, or more importantly, he can get that person to follow him where he wants him to go. You know? I mean, it's sort of like the, the old Ponzi scheme. You know, somebody comes and says, invest in my company. Give me $10,000 and I'll pay you back 15% a month. So you give him $10,000 and for the first two months he gives you back 15%. And he says, I got a bigger deal. This time I need 50. Well, of course, he's only been giving you back your principal, but you don't know that. So you give it to him. But since he paid off at the beginning, or at least you thought he was, now he's got you. Now, there are a lot of societies in which people go to demons for guidance and information. And I think that in many cases they actually get good guidance and information, but the demons use it to enslave those people. Because once they think that they've got a good thing, then they're going to do what the demon says. And if the demon says, if you want your crops to grow next spring, you've got to sacrifice your child this fall, if it worked last year, what are they going to do? They're going to sacrifice the child. And I think that the origin of a lot of false religion comes about through things like this. And you start thinking that there's this huge population of invisible beings running around, listening to our conversations, exchanging information with each other. You know, some really weird things can be going on, and they probably are.
So we really need to. Uh, I I I don't want I don't want us to walk around, you know, thinking there's a, a demon under, you know, every under every table. But I think it's important that we be aware that they're there, and they're listening and watching, and they're doing their work to mess us up. I think one of the reasons that God forbids us from being involved in the occult is exactly that. That it is so seducing and their powers are actually very great. And if we allow ourselves to start using and benefiting from those powers, then they will get us hooked and they'll take us where they want us. Uh, wasn't Dubai in Sonic out of temptation? Or was that, um, yeah, that's, that's a great question, you know, Flip will. That'll maybe do it. <laughs> um, I don't know the answer to that question. Well, I, I think that they can certainly work through circumstances. You know, some people think that that demons can actually inject thoughts into our heads. You know, I'm not... The dynamics of how they work on us are not laid out in Scripture. There's just a little bit of information. I mean, we, we, we know, and we'll see this a little bit later, we know that human beings are sort of like spirit houses. We were designed for the Holy Spirit to live in us, but demons can actually live in human beings if the human being allows them to do so. Um, we know that there are cases of believers who are filled with Satan in the same way that they should be filled with the Holy Spirit, Ananias and Sapphira. Now, how do the d- dynamics of that work? I don't know. You know, did Satan whisper in their ears saying, keep some of the money back and don't tell anybody? You know, how did that idea get in their heads? I just don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us, but I see a. I've, does, does go ahead. Does it say that they? I'm, I'm curious about a specific example. Does it say that they were filled with? It does. It does. It, 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 and inter- it, it's the same verb that's used in Ephesians chapter five. We'll look at it later. It's surprising. Becca. Well, does it, you're not saying any wealth, right? Well, we'll talk about that when we get there. Okay, that's that's one of the big issues that we'll discuss. Don't get excited or upset yet. I'll upset I'll upset you later. Um, uh, David, yes. You know, I have a tendency to think that if someone is demon possessed, they're like the monster in the graveyard, you know, type thing. You know, I mean, they're bad people. But that's just that's not necessarily so. I would think. Well. We, 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 will, we will get to that. Let me just say one thing, and we'll talk about this later. The term demon-possessed is a wrong term. It appears in our Bibles, but it is nonsense. Okay, Demon-possessed means possessed by the demon. Scripture never says that a person is possessed by a demon. It says just the opposite, that demons are possessed by people. Okay. There, there's, yeah, there's something for you to think about, and and I don't think we'll get to that tonight, but it's in your notes, and you can read about it, and we will talk about it. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the status of angels. The angels are called sons of God in Scripture, and that phrase, "son of," 
in Hebrew thought means somebody who is like the one he is a son of. But they're never explicitly said to bear God's image. Now, personally, I think that they do, but Scripture never actually says it. You know, there's never a statement like in Genesis 1.26 where God says, let us create man in our image. There's nothing where the members of the Trinity say, let us create angels in our image. And yet I would argue that all the ways in which we bear the image of God, it seems that angels do also. Okay? They are called sons of God. We are called sons of God. And there seems to be a strong parallel there. Okay? Psalm chapter 8, which is quoted in Hebrews chapter 2, says that man is a little lower than the angels, but one day we will be over them, won't we? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says that one day we will judge angels. And we know that there's one way in which we're superior to angels in that we can be redeemed and they can't. Remember that? Remember back to the whole discussion in Romans chapter 5 of the headship of, of Adam over our race and the fact that if we hadn't fallen in Adam, it would be impossible for us to be redeemed in Christ. Remember that? Well, the angels didn't fall in Satan. The demons are not Satan's children. They were all created at the same time. And the evidence seems to be that every one of the fallen angels had his own fall. Now, if they each had their own individual fall, it's impossible for one being to die for all of them because there's no precedent like there is a precedent in the case of Adam because we all fell in Adam. You follow me? Okay. Let me back up a little bit. This is important, and take this kind of as a review of what we did last term. It's the fact that we fell in Adam that makes it possible for us to be redeemed in Christ. The fact that there's a precedent that the sin of one person could make the whole race sinful lays the foundation for the righteous act of one person to make many people righteous. Unless God set it up that one man's sin could be imputed to many, he could not impute the righteousness of one person to many. Okay? And there's the same point. One angel fallen didn't mean that every angel. Exactly. Since they don't have a head, there's no way for them to be saved in the way that we are saved. I just wanted to clarify that that doesn't mean that they are completely unredeemable, although we know that they will not be redeemed because God... Okay, that's fine. That's fine. But I seem to recall a passage of scripture that says something along the lines of even Satan, if he repented now, something along those lines hmm. in Revelation. Maybe we'll, yeah. maybe we'll maybe I'll look it up and bring it. Look, look, look it up. Look it up, and we, we'll talk about it. Okay. Um, nowhere in scripture is there any discussion of the redemption of angels, and in fact, in the cases where their doom is spoken of, it's spoken of as a certain thing that can't be reversed. So, um, I 
think the evidence of Scripture is that they can't be redeemed. Jude 6 talks about them being destined for destruction. Matthew 25:41 speaks of the fire that is prepared for the devil and his angels. I don't see any evidence in Scripture with the possible exception that's brought up, and we'll talk about that next time, that angels can be redeemed. Now let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18. This is a passage that doesn't get much treatment for some reason. Probably because it's in the book of Deuteronomy. (laughs) Nobody likes to preach on the book of Deuteronomy. Yes, that's true. Praise God for that. Okay, Deuteronomy 18.9. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or is a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or is a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. Now, that is the clearest passage in Scripture forbidding occult practices. And essentially what it is saying is that we are forbidden, and I don't think this only applies to, to Israel, because God says when the nations do it, it's an abomination. Okay? We are forbidden to initiate contact with unseen spiritual forces and beings. Okay? The angels exist, but they are off limits to us. Now, if God sends a holy angel to contact one of us, as he did in the case of the angel that spoke to Joseph in his dream, or the angel that let Peter out of jail, there are a few cases. That's okay. Although, I would ask to see his badge before I believed an angel was real. I'm sort of joking, but I'm only half joking. Um, if, If I ever ran into a spirit being, I would ask him for proof of where he came from. And you could probably find that proof in what he has to say. Do you think, though, that maybe you've been contacted by an angel and you didn't know it? Well, there's a statement about that in Hebrews chapter 1. Yeah, I think it's quite possible. Um, And I, I suspect it's probably happened to all of us. Yeah. No, no, I, I'm, I'm not denying that it happens. Okay? But what I'm saying is we are forbidden to attempt to cross that barrier. Now, there are lots of religions in the world that involve efforts to cross that barrier. You know, um, Carlos Castaneda, any of you remember him? You know, a Yaqui way of knowledge, those weird books in the 60s about smoking peyote and getting into contact with demons and all that. Some of you remember that? Bob remembers. Yeah, okay. Well, I read those books. Um, That's before I was a believer. There are lots of religions that, that involve the use of drugs, use of spells, um, physical disciplines, chanting, whirling dervishes, all these things, and those are often ways of 
initiating contact with the angelic world. God says, don't do it. And so... I mean, obviously, if they have anything to say that's contrary to Scripture, they're not real. Now, what guy in recent history really blew that and started a religion as a, as a result of it? Joseph Smith, yeah. The guy who founded the Mormons, okay? An angel showed up and gave him a message which was clearly contrary to Scripture, and he did not put it to the test of Scripture and he was deceived, and he started a whole religion. Now, if, I, if, if you're saying that to the ship, that we were on here talking about really the fall of angels. Well, okay. Uh, it's Well, it's not really. Okay? Take a look at it. It doesn't say anything about whether the spirits that you're forbidden to contact are good or evil spirits. It just says don't do it. You know, we, we have a tendency to assume that it's about evil spirits, but it doesn't say that anywhere, does it? And, and by the way, there is one case in the Old Testament of a medium who contacted the spirit of a saved person. Saul and the Witch of Endor. And we may talk about that. You know, she had never done anything like that before. I think everything she'd done before was different. But... Even what he did there was forbidden. Bob. Yeah, I, I can't think of any case in Scripture where the people of God sought contact with angels. Not a one. Yeah. Exactly. We we. Even in the Old Testament, people had access to God through prayer. Um, you know, when you can go to the top, why go to the intermediaries? And I think that's a very good observation. Okay. Last thing here. Scripture seems to intentionally de-emphasize the importance of the unseen work of angels. Now, it's not because they're not important. I think it's because we don't need to know about it any more than the fact that it's there and it's happening. But, you know, it's kind of like you don't need to know about quarks and leptons and other subatomic particles to get in your car and turn the key and drive down the road. You know, they're there. can't see them. It doesn't matter. Okay. Boy, we didn't get very far. Um, let's stop here. Okay.